Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. We are looking this morning at promises of God. As a matter of fact, the foundation for this message relies on that Scripture is ultimately reliable. There are a lot of different promises in Scripture. I think there are several hundred. One day my wife looked up several of them and sent them to me, and it took her a while to find them all. And if you look, there are many. Probably over a thousand. I can't remember the exact number now. But one of those is eternal life. God has promised that to those who belong to Him. Another one is fellowship with the saints, a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, peace that passes understanding, the fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, etc. Eternal life one of the greatest promises that we look forward to is actually an end result promise. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the beginning promise. You might say, wait a minute. Some of these promises are shared differently and people talk about them in different ways. Well, they arrive differently than what is commonly believed by a lot of different teachings. Or we are often led to believe, for example, Hebrews 10.36 says, we receive promises after doing the will of God, when we have endured to the end and are saved. Matthew 10.22 and 24.13 also tell us that whoever endures to the end will be saved. But some people like to put the end result as the beginning and the beginning at the end when it comes to being in a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Now let me explain. Eternal life is not the goal of salvation. A relationship with Jesus Christ is. You say, wait a minute. I thought I was getting saved to have eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is this, that you would know me and the one who has sent me. That's eternal life. To have that relationship is eternal life. But some people put that as kind of like the end goal. And here's what they say. Well, I'll be with Jesus in eternity, but I'm saved forever right now. I'm done. I've done all I need to do. I prayed the prayer. I've told God I want Him to be my Savior, and therefore I'm done. But let's switch that faulty reasoning. Let's get to the proper relationship of sinner to Savior and sinner to saint. Because it goes that way. One fruit 
our fruit is either sin leading to death or holiness leading to eternal life. Romans 6.22 tells us that the end result of holiness is eternal life. Now you say, wait a minute, what do you mean? We come across this word in Scripture over and over again. It's one of my favorite words, and in Romans 6.22, it is no different the way Paul uses it. And I want to share this with you. Here's what he says. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Not the beginning everlasting, at the end. And the word end there is the word telos. The word telos means maturation or fullest potential of growth. In other words, we grow into eternity. We don't start there, we grow to it. We mature in our grace and holiness to that level. We don't start here and go, I've done all the holiness I need when I got saved. That's not what Scripture tells us. We've just started a relationship of becoming holy as He is holy. So Scripture is what we must do. So the end result, the maturation of our faith, our holiness, is eternal life. That's when we know we're mature. Wait a minute. That's not right, is it? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, the growth and maturation of sin, the end result, when it's fully grown, is death. Sin leads to death. It doesn't have any other outcome. Unfortunately, or fortunately as the case may be, because it is showing us the holiness and righteousness of God. So we grow one way or another, to one end, or another, to holiness, or to further sin, to righteousness unto holiness, or to sin unto death, one or the other. There is no other option. Well, I kind of do both. No, there's one or the other. Either in this boat, in this water, or you're in that boat, in some other water. And there are no other boats. There is no other water. It is one or the other. We are either in bondage to sin or we're free in Christ, one or the other. Where we stand now in relationship with Jesus now or not shows us what we will reap as a maturation later. We start out from birth as a doulos. Ah, uh, I've always wanted to be a doulos. Isn't that that thing uh, on that movie, Welcome to Doulos? No, that's not. That's doulok. But doulos is the Greek word for slave. We are born a slave. And, get this, we live our entire life and we'll end it as a slave. What? I thought you just read in Scripture that there's a God rewards the free and the slave the same. Isn't there a free and a slave? According to men's terms, but according to God, you're a slave. Oh, I don't know if I like that. Well, this is not an option either because you are a slave. Uh, you're either a slave to sin 
which we find in John 8, 34, or we are a slave of righteousness, as it says in Romans 6, 18. One or the other. You can't be a slave to something else because there is no something else. There's either God or not. One of those you're a slave to. Now let me get a little further on this doulos thing, this slave. It is somebody who has put their dependence into effect. Meaning that I depend on someone greater than me for my life and its direction. If we serve sin, sin will serve our direction and there is a power called wickedness, evil from Satan himself that will direct your life. You will not be in control of it. It does not set you free to have your choice. It puts you in bondage. Now, you say, wait a minute, but I have free choice and free will. Yes, you do, but you're still serving something that you obey and that you follow. A doulos or a slave has their will altogether consumed in the will of another. If we are unrighteous or unsaved, our will is consumed in the will of wickedness. The devil, if you will, by name. Our will has been consumed that we cannot do anything but follow that path. If we follow Jesus Christ... Our will is consumed with His will for our life. An unbeliever cannot know the will of Christ. A slave's actions are determined by somebody else. We say it like this. Don't think, just listen and do. Don't think, just listen and do. Don't think, just do. A slave has learned to respond and not to think about why they are doing what they are doing when following an instruction given to them. Think about that for a second. How many times have you felt God press on your heart to do something? You go, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. Let me think about that. Let me pray about that for a minute. When someone says, hey, will you help with this ministry of the church? You go, I don't know, I better pray about God, see if He wants me to do anything. Do you think God wants you to do something or not? I think He does. I was getting feedback, sorry. I think He does. I think He wants you to do something for His kingdom. A fruit-bearing activity. And that fruit-bearing activity produces holiness as you do it. Now some people want to go like this, well, if God will tell me what He wants me to do, I'll do it. But Scripture doesn't say that. Romans 12 says, be transformed by your mind being renewed in the way you think, and then you will know God's will. Not you will know God's will, and then you can conform your thinking to it. It is surrender and obedience to your Master Jesus Christ and your Lord before you know what He wants. But a lot of folks don't understand that when you say I'm saved and that's it, there is no master-slave relationship there. There's still you making the choice. And therefore, you are not serving Christ, but sin still. Because you're serving not Him. Now you say, wait a minute. No, no, no. no, I believe in Jesus. If you believe who He is and you will do what He says, that is what He tells us. Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? 
That's a quote, not from me, that's from Jesus. It's in red. Yeah, we don't like those words. But listen, if we think the whole thing about Christianity is so we can have pie in the sky someday, we've missed this. But we think the pie in the sky happens the moment we say the prayer that's not so. The moment we say the prayer, the relationship starts and he wants to know what you're going to do with it. Are you going to try and control it? Or are you going to let Jesus run your life? Who is in charge now? When Jesus is Lord. Lord is another word for master, for teacher, for mentor, guide. The one I trust with everything. And here's the funny thing, and and maybe y'all experience this in your life. I found that in moments of supreme surrender, God, I could never question anything. Then a few moments later, maybe I get some unpaid bill in the mail or something I forgot about. I go, oh God, I'm stressing out. What am I going to do about this? I got to do something. I got to pay this thing. And God's going to thought you said I was in charge. Why are you talking about you again? What you got to do? Did I tell you? Why are you thinking about that? It's about me. I'll take care of all this other stuff. You think about me and my kingdom. I'll take care of your other stuff. That doesn't mean he's going to write the check and pay the bill. It's not what that means. It means that he will order your life the right way if you put him first. But he cannot take part first. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want part servanthood. He doesn't want a slave or a servant, which is another word for slave, to serve him on their own terms. As a matter of fact, God would think that that would be double-minded and lukewarm. Choose this day, said Joshua, whom you will serve. But as for me and my entire house, we got one choice, and that's the Lord, the Master, the King, the one who knows everything, and I know nothing compared to Him. I choose Him. Who do you choose? We all can... With faith in our hearts, I choose God, but living it out is hard. It can be very hard because we keep getting back to this old nature of the slave to sin that keeps telling us, well, I got to do this, I got to do that, and all that stuff gets in the way. Anybody relate to that? Anybody find that true? Paul said in Romans 7, I find this very crazy thing going on inside of me. I want to serve God, but I keep serving the wrong thing. What's wrong with me? Who can save me from this mess? And he says, it's Jesus Christ alone that can get me out of this double-mindedness. By serving Him only, He can transform my mind. When I am surrendered, not when I'm committed making a decision, but completely 100% His. Now you say, well, I'm that way. Well, here's how you know you're 100% His, is you can't take yourself back. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm not bigger than God. And if God has something in His hands, He says, I got this and you ain't having it, I can't take it back. So if I surrender myself to God and I say, I'm all yours, and He goes, okay, I'll take it all, but you've got to give it all because you're not getting it back. But if we say, I keep giving it to God and taking it back, 
You've not given it to God. You've wanted to. But you can't take back what belongs to God. But you can ask for it back. That's the only way you can get back something from God. God, I gave you this sin thing here. Can I have it back? You know what God's going to tell you? I don't know what sin you're talking about. (laughs) It's gone. I got rid of it. But I want it back. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. So how can we give something to God and expect it back if it's unholy? Because God will not keep unholiness. He will get rid of it. Won't even remember it. Hebrews 13 says what? Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Far as the east is from the west. Folks, that's a straight line. Not a circle. So, we are slaves. But you get to choose for a moment what you serve. For this life is when you make that choice. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul calls himself a doulos, a slave to Jesus Christ, and an apostle. He wears two hats, and so do you. You're a slave, but you have responsibility and authority in the kingdom. And the more you get to know Christ and live out that obedience, the more responsibility and authority and power He bestows on you. It's a beginning. You're at kindergarten when you become in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants you to get into the higher levels of authority and power in the kingdom. He wants you to have more responsibility. And the more you do, the more you'll go, wow, I can't believe God's doing that through me. How's He doing that? It is almost mind-boggling to me when someone will say, you know, you really helped me. And I went, I don't even know what I did. It's because God did it. All I did was try to be obedient and do the best I can in that. We look at our acrostic today. The word is odor. Odor. All of a sudden people go, well, that's a smelly word. Odor is what a rose gives off. Odor is what you find in an outhouse. Odor is what you find when someone's making brownies or apple pie. Or when someone has burned the popcorn in the microwave. Do you understand odor has two sides to the story? There's a righteous odor and an unrighteous odor. There's not a middle ground odor. It's like, well, it doesn't smell like anything. Well, that's, that's middle ground. You don't want something unpleasant. You want something pleasing. And today we're going to talk about the odor that's pleasing to God. In Revelations chapter 8, we find what that is. Now you might say, wait a minute, God has a nose? He must have, if He can smell an odor. I'll share with you what Revelation says, and you'll go, oh wow, that's pretty cool. But listen to how it happens. How God's fragrance is activated. I think you'll appreciate this. 
it says, Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. This was in heaven. He was given much incense that he should offer it with prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne, throne of God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. The prayers of the saints are scented for God's presence in heaven. So when we pray to God, He smells the odor and says, that's my people praying. You've got my attention. When we cry, like the Israelites cried out for 400 years in the wilderness, God says, I've heard their cry. And their cry comes to me and it's got my attention. Our prayers get God's attention. When we have God's attention, He's saying, I want to know what they're doing. (laughs) I want to help them because His fragrance is beautiful to me. It's the prayer of the saint. But the prayer of the saint isn't always what you think it is. It's not fancy. It's a prayer that's seeking the heart of God. And God smells this fragrance and says, that smells like somebody's seeking my heart. That smells like a child who loves me. (laughs) I'll give you a sample of a good fragrance. Have you ever had a young child, two, three years old, paint you a picture and give it to you? You can't really tell what it is sometimes. And put, this is for you, I did this for you. Do you think that would sell a million dollars in a museum of fine art, the Lourdes or Metropolitan uh, Art Museum in New York? Probably not. But I bet it gets front and center on your fridge for a long time. Why? Because it's the heart of love that painted it and gave it to you. Doesn't mean you recognize it, you just recognize the sender of the gift. It's the message that comes from the blessed feet of the messenger. This is what those fragrances are before God. When we do something out of our heart to please God, He says, I smell that and I'm pleased. I'm worshiping. We're worshiping when we do those things. It's causing heaven to worship. An angel adds a holy incense, if you will, or coal to our prayers and our things we do for God. And God says, let's worship here in heaven. They're doing something to please me. I think that's a great picture. So let's send some odor up. Oh, you never heard that phrase, odor up? Well... I used to work in the restaurant business and we'd take a, on the receipt, if you will, the order for the table, we'd give it to the chef, the chef would cook it, and when he was done, he'd put the receipt under the plate and say, order up! But the chef that was in our restaurant had trouble with his R's, and he'd always say, order up! And we knew something good was coming from the kitchen, something sweet and savory. And so something sweet and savory would come from the master chef's hands. I'd go get it and take it to the table and say, here's your meal, I know you're going to enjoy it. God's saying, let's odor up some prayer, some acts of service that are after the heart of God. Done in His will by people seeking His will. 
I want to hear a rejoicing in heaven because of what we do here at Milburn Methodist. I want to hear heaven worship. I'd love to see what that looks like one day. But guess what? I can't see that until I'm there. Until then, I have to trust that the relationship I have with Jesus Christ, and He knows about it, and He's saying, well done, good and faithful servants. Well, what kind of things do you think please God? We talk about folks doing things around the church. Diane playing piano a lot. Ginger leading worship tirelessly. Judy the treasurer doing a lot of things. I mean, I could point it out. Glenn, Kathy, uh, the, the singers, Amy. Everybody has a part in doing what we do. The ushers, they come forward. You know, what if nobody came forward? And I said, will the ushers come forward? Well, when they do, it's a pleasing to God. We all have a part. It doesn't matter the part we play, how small it is. We may think it looks like that messy picture hanging on God's refrigerator, but He's got my picture on there no matter how lousy it looks to anybody else. That's my son. He did that. I like it. Because in that moment, He was doing something that the O word is for us, and that's obedience. As if I would to Christ. To obey whoever I'm serving in that moment as though it were for Christ and then Christ will put that moment on His fridge. That's what it says in Ephesians 6.5. Be obedient to those who you serve according to the flesh, but in sincerity of heart with all you are as though you're doing it for Christ. So do it as if for Christ. The D, found in verse 6. It says, Do not do this with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing, which is our D word, the will of God from the heart. So doing God's will from your heart. But to do God's will from your heart requires Romans 12.2 to be in effect first. And that is that God is transforming your mind, not being conformed to this world so that you might be able to discern what is that good, pleasing, perfect will of God. That's what God's doing in us. Transforming how we think. Remember, the way we think in this world is, well, if if I do this for you, you do something for me. But God's saying, do this out of a transformed mind that says I'm doing God's will to please God, whether He does anything or not. Do you understand one thing that God delights in, and, and so do I, is when somebody does something and they don't expect a reward, but you plan on giving one to them anyway. What makes me really frustrated, and I think God's the same way, is when someone says, look what I did, now give me something. I'm doing this to get the reward, but what if they're not? Then there's this joy in your heart saying, look, they're doing this because they're pleased with me. And I'm pleased with them, so I want to do something that delights their heart. And if I delight in the Lord in my heart, He will give me the delights of my heart. That's what the psalmist tells us. I'm so thankful for that. So doing the will of God from a sincere heart, meaning with no expectation from God. 
I'm doing this, God, so you'll help me. God, I'll help this person, or I'll pray, or I'll go to church if you'll bless me and take care of this problem I got. God doesn't work that way. He might come through those situations, but He's trying to transform the way you think and say, I'd do that even if you did nothing. It's called grace. In verse 7, we find the O word, offering. With goodwill doing service as the Lord and not to men. That means we're offering service to God. You might say, well, I'm helping people. You're not offering service to people. You're doing this for God. People can't always repay you. And that's a good thing. But you're not doing it for them so they'll speak well of you. You're doing it so your Heavenly Father will look at you and smell the praise and the prayer that you've offered up while you've been doing it and letting heaven worship. That you're creating worship in heaven by the good you do here. But your offering is to God. You're lifting up your offering. The Old Testament said there's a thing called a heave offering. And the heave offering, we've talked about it on Palm Sunday, they lift it up and present it to God like this. That's a heave offering. That is what we're doing. We're pleasing God with a heave offering. We're lifting it up. God, this is for You. I know I'm helping somebody else, but You're the one in my heart I'm doing it for. And if I'm doing it for You, God, and they're receiving the benefit, then I know You can bless them through what I'm doing because I don't have enough to bless them, but You do. That offering is to God. And it's a service. As any slave would expect to do. To serve their master. Because their master asked them to. You think about that for a minute. If I'm an employer, and I ask an employee to go do something for somebody, and they do, am I pleased that they've done that? Have they done it because I asked them to? Or have they done it because the person needed it done? They've done it because I asked them to. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known what to do. So it is with us. Discerning God's will. God, what do I need to do? Show me. I'll do it. I'm doing it for them, but because you asked me to. I'm doing it unto you. I'm offering this service of a slavehood to you, God, by serving them. And we get to the R word in verse 8. It says, knowing that whatever good, here it is, anyone does, you will receive the same thing from the Lord, whether you're slave or free, and that is a reward for obedience and honor. God will reward you. But He's not seeking that you do that as end game. He's asking that His relationship with you is end game. That that's all you want is relationship with Him to please Him. And if that's the case, He will reward you. It is His good pleasure to give you His kingdom. It is His delight to make you an heir as a son or a daughter, not as a servant. 
in relationship with God. When you are saved, you're a child of God and therefore an heir. And God wants to bless you with all He has, but He wants to know that you're striving to please Him as a faithful child. Not a faithful adult in the kingdom of God. You learn as a child. It even says you must become as a child to understand and receive the kingdom of God so that you understand the Father showing you how to walk, talk, and live a new life. Even Romans 6.4 says we walk in newness of life. So we're rewarded for obedience and for honoring God in what we do. We will receive good from God. And there comes at that moment a reward for those who didn't please God, trust God, or honor God. And that reward is eternal damnation. The wages of sin are death. Not a pretty sight, but you will be rewarded the same that you did unto God from God. If you were against God your whole life and served sin your whole life and never once tried to please God or understand who God was, the disobedient will not be rewarded with good stuff. So slave or not, we will get rewarded. Slave to God, good. Slave to bad, bad. But there will be a reward. So with this obedience, doing the will of God, offering this service to God, and eventually there's reward along the way and at the end, eternal life, there's a new reality for us. And this is where the transforming of the mind is. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes these words. I have been crucified with Christ, yet not I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I'm crucified, it means I no longer have the authority in my life to make my decisions, that I seek my Master my Savior, my King, first. I stop thinking about whether it's a good idea or not, and I ask. There may be a time when He gives me a little autonomy, but I don't want it until He gives it to me. So what is the new reality for a follower of Jesus Christ? They are crucified and their will has changed to God's will. You swap wills. That's the new reality. The question I have for you this morning is who do you serve? Righteousness or sin? What fruit is evident in your life? The maturation of what you've lived so far is the fruit you're bearing around you in your life. Are there people finding joy and peace and hope in you? Does your perspective need to change and you need to be transformed and renewed? You need to learn 
what obedience to Christ means? Are you still beginning at the end, thinking you've got everything because you're saved, you've got your eternal life, when you haven't got the relationship? The relationship with Jesus Christ does not start the day you die. It starts the day you die to self. I'll say that again. Relationship with Jesus Christ does not begin the day you die. It begins the day you die to self. Until that day, whichever one comes first, happens, you're a slave to sin. I'd like to tell you there's middle ground. I'd like to tell you there's a free pass if you know you just you know I didn't know. I can't tell you that. So we come back to the beginning, don't we? Do you believe that your walk with Christ is all about eternity or about relationship with Him? And what nature of relationship do you have? One of servanthood? Or one of saying, God, I'll do it when I'm ready. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. I'm still in control. One of those sends an odor up to God that He's going, let's worship. And the other one He looks at and says, I hear the cry of My people, but no one descended. My prayer this morning is that you understand that your relationship with Jesus Christ is all that matters to you before anything else or it's not yet in the right place. Don't be fooled. God will not be mocked. He will bring the righteous to full sanctification and make you holy. And the end of that holiness is eternity with Him. But the relationship needs to start right now. Maybe some of you understand what I'm talking about and God's talking to you about this. And I invite you when we sing this last hymn, uh, Diane, if you'll come forward, that you don't just think about what I've said, but you act on it. If you need to rededicate your life, give your life to Christ, say, I'm your slave. Whatever you say, wherever you send, I'll go. I'm not going to question you. I'm just going to do it. If that's you, I invite you to pray at this altar and talk over. I'll talk over with you as we close with this final hymn. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as you so clearly state, it's doing your will. But we don't even know what that is. And when we say, I don't know what the will of God is, it's because our mind isn't transformed. And our mind isn't transformed because our heart isn't surrendered and our lives aren't surrendered and therefore you can't do the transforming work. And that tells us if we don't know your will, we don't know you. And we're missing out on that relationship. Heavenly Father, pull us deep into that relationship. Call from the depth of your heart to us and help us to start worshiping your kingdom of heaven right now with our prayers and our cries and our acts of love unto you. You alone do we seek. You alone will we rejoice in. And you alone deserve all honor, praise, and glory, both now and forever. Amen.
Let's stand and turn to number 317. Thank you.